and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons podcast. I'm here with Michael Shutt. This is Michael McGraw, and we are here today to talk about college basketball and very specifically ACC basketball, and even more specifically UVA basketball beating NC State in both men's and women's. We're recording this on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, February 12th, where the women's team has just recorded their first win over a ranked team since 2017. Great job, ladies. Congrats. Without two of their most important players as well. Sure. I'm excited. To be fair, State has also lost some people, so... Okay, but... I mean, I'm just, if we're going to be like, ooh, without two of their most important players... Right. So what's going on with State women? What's going on? You know, I mean, you lose uh, Elisa Kinane, who was one of the best players in the country, you know, to, to graduation. And uh, you also kind of lose some backcourt production. It's just any NC State family told you this year was a kind of a reloading, rebuilding sort of gap in the consistent dominance that has been Westmore's program. Um, I'm sorry, three straight conference championships. Couldn't quite make it four this year. Although the tournament, you never know, might, might win the tournament. So, I mean, they're still ranked. Sure. So it's not like they lost. Everyone. No, it's 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 nice to be in this position, right? Where your program is so good that being ranked in the twenties is a disappointing season. So I, I acknowledge how fortunate we are as a fan base to be disappointed by this and hope they bounce back. I mean, the recruiting class coming in is pretty pretty insane. So. You know, I think in terms of uh, future for these women's programs, I mean, State has a great recruiting class coming in. Virginia has a great recruiting class coming coming in and got some really uh, good news for next year. This past week when Sam Brunel announced she'd come back for her fifth year to join those recruits. So, you know, the future's bright. It is bright. And very bright today as the women from Virginia yes. get the win. And most importantly, them. get a... When not marred by controversy. Mm, yeah, we will get into that. And I want to acknowledge, because last week you decided to bitterly acknowledge the shirt I was wearing. Sure. I wore a yeah, UVA you're shirt wearing today. wearing a UVA shirt today, so proud just, of you. Just for you, I consciously made this decision to wear the one UVA shirt that I own, just to, just to own my defeat. I'm wearing a Kansas City Chiefs jersey because it is Super Bowl Sunday. Of course, I'm a longtime Kansas City Chiefs fan. Sure. Not just somebody who spitefully roots against the Eagles. Sure. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I'm, I am I uh, am uh, sitting on my Super Bowl jersey for a little bit later. I got a surprise. Mm. Got to surprise you with it. Okay. It's a good one. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the... Should we go backwards in time and start with the UVA-NC State game since yeah. we were both there? Let's get it out of the way. Sure. Um, I, I think that it's... You know, we think about this from the perspective of the fact that we were there, right? So uh, UVA fan and NC State fan walk into a bar. The bartender doesn't realize that those two teams are playing. That's <laughs> a true story uh, here in Charlottesville. That's true. Which, it, honestly, the reason I bring that up is because it's... Um, I've... I'm going to go ahead and make myself the target of uh, the Saber.com message board disdain. I've never been wildly impressed by UVA fans as a whole. 
Knowledgeable fan base, sure, sometimes. The passion seems to be lacking sometimes. And so it's it's wild to me to like you've got this these two ranked teams playing, sure on a Tuesday, but like two ranked teams playing in a college town. We go to grab a few drinks before the game. Bartender doesn't even know that the teams are playing. We were able to get some of the better like tickets for some of the better seats that I've ever had at a college basketball game for very cheap because there were so many tickets available. I don't get it. Like, what gives? Why was that place not full? It still was pretty loud, I thought. Yeah. But sure, yeah, I I did think it was a little bit weird how many seats were available on secondary markets and through UVA and primary, lines. yeah. So. I don't know. I thought the crowd showed up. Like, it was a pretty loud, engaged crowd for who was there. Yeah, it wasn't terrible. I just, like, kind of... It doesn't make sense to me. Like, your team is really good. You're a top 10 team playing another ranked team uh, that was really hot. Like, probably the hottest team in the conference coming into this game, you know? I just... And I'm not saying this just to on UVA. Like, I really am not. It's just that it was it was baffling to me. Mm-hmm. To not have that place be full, it's not like I get it when um, there are some games that state doesn't fill up PNC, but like PNC is massive. Mm-hmm. JPJ is not that big, so like it just kind of I don't know, just seemed odd to me. That's just where I wanted to start because okay, it was, so, it so was, not anything about the game and that is how that, NC State that, played. That's just, objectively about okay. the game. All right. Okay, <laughs> just fans fans didn't show up quite as well as you thought they should. Sure. Right. Anything else? Anything else you want to? Yeah, into? I mean, while we're on the topic of fans, let's go ahead and go here. Casey Morsell. like, why? Why are we booing him? Why are we chanting "fu Casey" in the student section? What did he do to deserve this? I don't love that people did that. Uh-huh. At the same time, literally a hundred percent of fan bases would do that. Sure, a hundred percent. I'm not. So, like, don't get don't defensive. Pick on, don't no, get I'm defensive. Not defensive. I didn't say other fan bases wouldn't do it, but why are we doing it? But people don't like that he left. Mm. Like, obviously, it's a better situation for him. Yeah. Great. Hats off to him. It doesn't mean you have to like him. Should we have booed him? No. Like, I don't yeah. I don't think people should... I don't think people should boo any college athletes. Sure. Like, period. Oh, disagree. Because Carolina exists. Oh, okay. Let's boo them. <laughs> <laughs> Justin McCoy, since he's on yeah, Carolina, yeah. is fine. That guy you could boo, but uh, I'm not getting at this as a specific UVA thing. I mean, I it is because that's where we were. But, like... This is a problem to me in general of, like, wouldn't it be weird if, so like I'm a teacher as my day job and teachers leave schools to go teach at other schools all the time. Wouldn't it be weird if I saw like a former coworker who's left my school to go teach somewhere else at the grocery store and just started booing them and like yelling expletives at them? That's essentially what this is. Right. Yeah, of course. Like, I, it's but... just weird. I don't know. Just weird fan behavior to me. And you, you're, you, you. You're right in what you said when I brought it up at the game. You're like, yeah, fan's going to fan. And you're right about that. But also, like, can we just collectively as a society take this out of our, like, normal fan behavior? No, it's not. Not ever. It's not going to be that. I mean, it, it would be great. But that's there's a lot not... of reasons to boo a kid. Like, I don't think <laughs> to I boo don't... A per- an athlete. I, right. I, it sounds bad when you just say boo a kid. Right. But, like, this is not one of them. If he had, like, left and talked about UVA like boo him all you want but like he's been nothing but a class act as far as I can see 
And then, I, now, honestly, on my end, I was like, keep booing him because he was lighting you guys up. And He did have a very good game. It was the, I believe I saw online that it was the most threes he had ever hit in JPJ, including yeah. his time at Virginia. So. Maybe he does better with being booed. So, you know, I take it back. Boo him more. I just don't. I hate it. And And to be completely fair, I would be saying the same thing if we were in Raleigh and... If, if the thing was flipped, like if, I don't know, Manny Bates had transferred to UVA and uh, uh, came back and, and they were booing him, I would hate that. So uh, I look forward to bringing this back up in the fall when Brennan Armstrong comes back yeah, and gets right. booed. You know, that'll be, that'll be fun too. I just think, I'm trying not to be defensive about this, but I'm also trying to separate the differences between what I think UVA fans are actually doing and what global fans everywhere do right Mm -hmm. so like i think uva fans have some tendencies that i don't love some that i do like but i don't i literally think this is the reaction all athletes would get in the exact same situation transferring from one acc school to another sure it's big and and i think it just kind of fits in a narrative for me that i have felt for a while that uva basketball fans tend to be some of the most defensive fans of their program because of the criticisms over, like, you know, emphasis on defense and low-scoring games and stuff like that, then people tend to get very, like, defensive of that. So then the idea that someone would leave their program and then go... Like, it, it's... I don't even think it's related to that. Mm, I think I think it's at least I don't, I don't neighbor, it's I don't, neighboring. I don't disagree with your premise. It's very close. But I don't think it's the same thing. I think that it is really close to bordering on this, like, Patriot Way type thing oh it's closer than you think it's closer than you like to admit because i like you're gonna tell me that there was nothing out there when when casey transferred when abdur rahim transferred when uh uh, mccoy transferred that there weren't fans out there were like oh they just they can't handle tony bennett's style and the way that this (laughs) what this program demands of you a lot of fans were critical of tony bennett saying can he keep good recruits and do we need to change our program because Tony is losing our best players. Our I'm sure that's out there players. too. People right. say that. I mean, there are people who criticize Bill Belichick and the Patriots for like running off good players because of this. But I, I have seen the other narrative out there as well. Okay, it's just it just gets a little. It's a little close to that for me. Of like, we have our own special way of doing things, and this kid couldn't make it. So I think my problem is grouping fans together as one cohesive unit unless you're talking about ohio state fans because if you're talking about ohio state fans they're all exactly the same no ohio state fan is different than the rest but every other fan base you know you have to live in that follow-up question most delusional fan base in college sports you group group state fans together all the time well but that's just good programming oh my god all right anyway let's talk about the actual hey do you want to talk about the the free throw differential in that game i mean i was gonna bring it up but go ahead let's get it all out yeah this is let's use this as a therapy session for you sure this is absolutely like you don't want to talk about you don't want to talk about the game you want to talk about uva fans not showing up booing casey more i do want to talk about the game percentage let's go ahead now here's where here's here's where we'll start because you think i don't want to talk about the game I, I, it's unacceptable to me that whether it was coaching, scouting, or just execution on the players, and the team looked totally unprepared for DJ Burns to be double teamed like that, which is it is unacceptable. And I, I the thing is, is that I have a hard time believing that that's truly coaching, and that Kevin Keats didn't know that was coming. 
They um, had to know because has been doing that yeah. in all other games. I think it's simply burn for for years, right? We talked about that. Right. Like that's been the strategy. I, I just think Burns. I think it was an execution thing. I think he, uh, whether he's not equipped generally in terms of his skill set to handle that, or just that night in particular, maybe he was. You know, whatever. Like it happens. You have bad nights, and there's things where you're just not quite ready for it. And he did get frustrated by getting into some foul trouble. Two of those fouls. Um, upon further review, we're kind of iffy calls, especially the offensive foul, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, he didn't play well. He didn't play well. Jarkel Joyner played terribly. Like I think I think that, just to linger on Joyner for a second, like the fact that he played, he was a complete non-factor in the game, right? Yeah. And then the follow-up game against Boston College, he went out for 26 points and just... And like six rebounds, six assists, right. four steals. Like he had an incredible game against BC. Right, so I think like that... From my perspective, that was the difference in the game, is just taking Joyner out of the game yeah. and then making Smith... I mean, he still scores. He's, he's mm-hmm. going to score. He's an NBA player. But making him more inefficient than he often is, mm-hmm. right? Like, those were the two big things. And then, yeah, Burns being able to trap him, get him a little bit further out of the mm-hmm. paint than he normally is used to. Yeah, I think the UVA executed those things well defensively, which has been... Uh, like defense has been the problem for UVA often this year. Mm-hmm. It has been their defense, and to hold NC State to fifty points is only their what? best for. I, I think mean, only best. two points in transition. Right, two like, points in transition for the whole game. That's it's exactly <laughs> the kind of game UVA wanted to play. Fifty or sixty-three fifty is. It, if you had told me that that was going to be the score before the game, I would have mm-hmm. signed up for it immediately and known that we won. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, I I know that I started this off by playing the. Uh, the bitter fan role, but I also can be objective and acknowledge that it was, you know, UVA gave probably the best defensive performance of the season. Um, There's no shame. And like, this is the thing that I I was curious when we, this is what I like about going to a game is I'm not then like on Twitter, seeing all the takes from fans and everything. So then as we're walking out uh, and I'm trying not to fight frat boys on the sidewalk, (laughs) You know, it's kind of like looking to see what people are saying. And I, I actually was like kind of proud of our fan base. Most of what I saw was a lot of just like, yeah, okay, you lost to a top 10 team in their arena. Like, whatever. You know, that's going to happen. This doesn't really hurt NC State's resume, I don't think. it was it's a, it's a missed opportunity, right? You really could have bolstered your resume and started climbing up that seating ladder. But it doesn't hurt you to lose to a really good Virginia team that I have said from the beginning I think is the best team in the ACC and could put it together to make a run in the tournament. You know, I, I, I've i been consistent in saying that about them and was impressed by them on Tuesday. I mean, it, it was just a really good game and felt like... It, it's interesting. I was thinking about this and looking at the stats trying to reconcile this because it felt like a very efficient offensive performance. Shooting-wise, it wasn't... It wasn't like amazing from Virginia, right. but just each possession felt like like well calculated and actions were efficient. And I made the comment about Reese Beekman individually as a player during the game. All of his he has no wasted motion in his game. His whole style is uh, of play is is efficient. Not necessarily re- just referring to shooting numbers, but just everything he does. So yeah, I mean. Was there a significant free throw discrepancy? Sure. Was it was it quite what it was against Carolina? No. I, I would have started this off differently railing about that. But, I mean, I do think it's a little... It, it, it's questionable. Terquavion doesn't get calls that I 
think he should. Um, yeah, we talked about that. I agree because of his jumping ability. He does get bumped low in a way that he's able to absorb that, and it looks less like a foul than if you hit somebody right on the wrist. Right, mm-hmm. that, that's an obvious foul. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's often elevating over defenders. Uh, I will. I will say though. I mean, UVA had. 32 points in the paint compared to NC State's 12, mm-hmm. right? They they did attack the paint way harder than yeah, State. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not, that has nothing to do with the free throw percentage necessarily, but like they they really attacked the paint. They didn't shoot that many threes. They only took eight threes in the whole game, right? which There's is a, pretty low for yeah. UVA, right? Yeah. So like they, they felt like they had a driving, I think, I think NC State's defense where they played out and up the line allowed more backdoor cuts, drives against pressure. Well, there's no doubt that that UVA should have had more free throws in this game than State. Like, that I have no doubt about, no question about. There's no, like, there weren't a ton of fouls against State that I would look at and say, oh, that was terrible. There was one bad one against Burns, and then there was a block at the rim that was a pretty bad call. But other than that, like, most of it, yeah, there was physicality there, and, and I get it. My issue, so my issue was not that Virginia shot twenty four free throws. My issue was that State only shot seven, right? And look, Virginia, like you know, especially recently, it seems like in a lot of these games they're shooting more free throws than their opponents. So it's a good defensive team. They defend without fouling as much as other teams foul. I totally understand that, you know. But like I said, it's not at the Carolina level of of just like this is ridiculous. There's just some stuff that. It's not so much a UVA thing as it is. It's starting to seem like there is something about Terquivion Smith, and maybe it is the elevation or whatever, that he's not getting some of those calls on bumps when he drives to the rim. The the last thing I really had on this game, so Caden Shedrick, minutes have been down recently. There's been, We've talked about kind of the move towards more small ball. Didn't play at all in the Tech game. Who knows why that is. But first sub off the bench in this game, Played really well and, and changed the game defensively. So he kind of came in and the, I think the comment you and I, we, what we talked about was it almost felt like lose-lose when he was the first sub because it's either lose-lose from Tony Bennett's perspective of it's either like he plays really well and then the fan base is going to be like, where's he been, right? Come on. Right. like, Or he doesn't play well and the fan base is saying like, why are you, you know, why is he your first sub off the bench instead of somebody more athletic like Dunn? Who only played two minutes in this game, which seems a little odd. That was that was uncharacteristically low for Dunn. And I think that Caden look, Caden has a lot of potential. I think his ceiling is very high. Mm-hmm. The Duke game shows the other side of the coin. For sure. Right? Like could not could not keep himself on the floor because of fouling. And yeah. that has been one of the primary problems for him all season. Very foul-prone, makes bad defensive decisions. And then offensively, like, you either get a really engaged player, like he was against NC State, or against Duke, just not effective at all, right? So, yes, it's disappointing to see his minutes kind of wax and wane, and you, Mm -hmm. you you know you need something. You need something from a big in order to be competitive long-term and in the tournament. But at the same time, like... It, maybe that gives you a little bit of a window into why he didn't play against Virginia yeah. Tech, right? Like, the, the potential is obviously there, but it's the consistency between game to game is not mm-hmm. there, right? Well, in the bigger picture, right, it seems that we talked about going into this week, games against NC State. We didn't talk as much about the Duke game, but Duke also has some size, 
So right. you knew that Tony wasn't going to be able to keep it just as much small ball as it has been. So even in the Duke game, when Shedrick gets in foul trouble, Caffarero played more than he had been play- You know, So you have this shift towards a little bit more size and, and that ability to go back and forth and, and adapt to opponents in that way is an incredibly impressive you know, coaching skill that Tony Bennett has. Where and it's been a shift for him and being able to do that um, and going to that small ball lineup at times and and so you know tip of the hat to that and, and I think that like this is a it was a great win for UVA on Tuesday one that is just kind of an unquestionable like yeah you beat a really good team and there's no doubt that that was earned and then you have Saturday yeah the only thing I would say. 18 points off the bench against NC State. And NC State had zero points off the bench, mm-hmm. right? It was all from Morsell and Smith, and then Burns hit a couple of shots, right? Yeah. For, like, a significant period of the game. Those are the only three people who scored at all for yeah. NC State. UVA does have different people step up in different games. Vanderplas has had several games in a row where he has looked very questionable, and the fan base has been kind of pushing back on why is he playing at all. Played a really, really good game last night against Duke. Mm-hmm. Jaden Gardner kind of fell out of the lineup for a while. Lost some minutes at the end of games. He's started to step up his points. Armand Franklin has been shooting the ball very poorly. And then big game against Duke yesterday. So if there is a benefit for UVA, if there is some like a silver lining for all the ups and downs, it is that there have been different people. And it is an important quality to have when it comes to the tournament where you run up against different styles of play. Yeah. Maybe you'd play a team that's super aggressive. Maybe you t- play a team like Syracuse where there's a zone and you got to shoot a lot of threes, right? They do have some depth on their roster, which they didn't have last year. That yeah. was a big problem for them last year. They had to go with a much shorter lineup. And that's the thing that I'm, I'm, ex- I'm choosing to be excited about it moving forward instead of bitter that we had to play this game without Jack Clark and Dusan Horchich, because Jack Clark came back on Saturday against BC. He's kind of our sort of Ryan Dunn equivalent, a 6'8", kind of rangy wing type guy who, you know, uh, hit a couple threes against BC, played just 10 minutes, but, you know, he's kind of working his way back from an injury, and Horchich, unclear as to whether he'll be back or not. But I think the I think Jack Clark's bigger a bigger deal for us anyway. So it is kind of cool to see like states having some success, but then you get those guys back for the ACC tournament, the NCAA tournament, you get that depth, like you're saying for UVA, that depth is important because sometimes you have something like Draco Joyner had against Tuesday where he just can't find it. So you got to be able to go to the bench, find some other combinations, find some things that work. And that's, that's pretty crucial. So, but yeah, I want to talk about this Duke game. Yeah. Biggest, go ahead. I mean, go ahead. massive game. Was right? a big game. Got to follow up a win over a top 25 opponent with a team that is not ranked, but is Duke, right? And getting healthier yes, every day. Absolutely. And like we talked about, they're kind of surging and, and it look, they look more and more dangerous. It, it's tough talking about this game, right? Because there's just, I wish there was one thing that just seemed like an obvious topic to start with. But there's just nothing notable from this game. I think we have to start with the fact that it was just, you know... We got Dick Vitale back. Yeah. I'm very excited to see him healthy and broadcasting games. Absolutely. You got to have lunch or breakfast with Armand Franklin's mom. That there was cool. Go. That there was a cool go. thing to find out yeah. during the broadcast. Cool. 
So just, yeah, it was a good good, good game. Two nice competitive teams, cleanly officiated. Sure. My first three notes here yeah, are blown ahead. call, blown call, blown call. Right. Yeah. So like, there's no question about it now. The ACC has come out and said we messed this up. Right. So so how do you feel about that? Because we talked about it a lot last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, not knowing at that time there was still some debate over exactly what happened. Right. And all of this. So I'm curious to see how your perspective maybe has shifted or stayed the same from last night when we weren't quite sure what the reasoning was in all this to now today where the ACC has come out, put out a statement, said, hey, we messed this up. Here's why. How do you see that as a UVA fan? Yeah, I have a few thoughts on this. So in real time, my perspective was mostly confusion, Mm -hmm. right? Like I didn't know what could or couldn't be overturned. Mm-hmm. I was under the impression that nothing could be overturned unless it was, you know, something about the clock, right? So that was where we got into the maybe maybe the shot didn't go up until after zeros, right? So mostly confusion yesterday. In real time it looked like a foul to me. Given the like the long term now now we're in day two of this, right? Yeah. I have a, a few thoughts. One is that it was a blown call, mm-hmm. right? It was the wrong call. Mm-hmm. Now I will say that for all of last night's, you know, freeze frames, the Pruder film, <laughs> you know, images both from Duke and UVA fans that were on Twitter, like the 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 photo of Reese hitting, you know, maybe his hand at 0.2 seconds that showed up a million times on Twitter, that isn't even relevant to what the ACC says they got wrong. Right, right? They said right. Ryan Dunn came in and hit him. That was the, the foul was done. Right, the down, Dunn or was the, the called foul. foul was done. Right, so they got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they got the call wrong. How did that make me feel in real time and today? I mean, it sucks. It sucks yeah. for Duke. Like, I, yeah. I wish it didn't happen that way. I wish it had been a clean game that did not have this at the end of it. Just like any sports event, you don't want a controversial ending mm-hmm. to decide a game. So that's that's my number one takeaway. My number two takeaway is that this happens in sports all the time, right? Like, it, it sucks. I'm, I'm not trying to discount that, and I'm not trying to, like, evade responsibility for it. But also, like, this happens all the time yeah. in sports. It's, you know, like... People people didn't know about the double dribble rule mm-hmm. or the A to B jump rule until the UVA Auburn game in the Final Four, mm-hmm. right? Like, would it have been better for UVA to win that game by thirty points and no controversy? Of course it would. As a fan, like it would feel much better. But this gets to my third feeling on it, which is, I'm not giving it back. Like I'm not giving the game back, right? Not. What are we? Are we? Is Tony Bennett gonna forfeit the game now? Right. That that right? Like there are a million calls in a game. This one is one of those examples where it's right at the end in a tie game, and so it, it, it appears decisive. But there are a million calls that could be decisive either way, right? Like, you could go you could go back to the second half. There was a, from my perspective as a fan, clear over-the-back mm-hmm. call yep. against a Duke player over Reese Beekman yep. that would have given Reese an opportunity to make two free throws at a critical moment in the game. Could UVA have used those two points later in the game? Sure, right? But that call isn't as controversial because it's not as public. It's not right at the end. Mm -hmm. So all this is to say, like, I wish it hadn't happened. I wish it hadn't happened the way that it did. But at the same time, like, what are you going to do about it, right? Like, that's just, 
that's just <laughs> that's just basketball. You know, we're both coaches. We we live through this every single day. Like if we spent our our lives relitigating every single call that we thought was bad, like we would be we would be <laughs> institutionalized, yeah. right? Like there's yeah. just there's just no way around that. Yeah. It it does suck, right? Just it kind of sucks for college basketball. It sucks as a as a fan who there's no doubt I was pulling for UVA in that game. And also, but also kind of understood that objectively, standings wise, it was better for state if UVA lost that game, probably. I guess if you combine those things where like my feelings are pro UVA, but you know, whatever, I, I found myself sort of, sort of ambivalent, like relatively neutral in this. So just watching as a fan of college basketball, it just kind of sucks to see a game decided like that. I also, I can't decide 100% how I feel, I, I, I've, having watched it a ton, but I do, it seems to me, that the clock does start a little early before Filipowski touches the ball, which is a massive deal in terms of how this ends, right? Because then maybe the call doesn't come after, you know, like, like it probably changes things. Now, the ACC did not say that that happened. So right. I, I can't say for sure. There are angles where it looks like it starts before he touches it. There's angles where it doesn't. So I, whatever. But it, I just don't understand how you go and review a call and get it wrong, right? But you're right. You can't. We we can sit here and like obviously it's it's our job having this podcast to talk about this a little bit. But if I'm a Duke fan, as much as this would be hard to do, my mentality is we move on, right? right. Because what what else are you gonna do, right? If you're a Duke player, a Duke coach, it has to be. Let's move on. And I get I give John Shire credit after the game. He could have he could have really leaned into how unfair it was, and he didn't. And I mean. I think, honestly, and I said this to you yesterday, I think the biggest problem with how the officials handled it is they didn't explain it properly to John Shire. Like, yeah. in the moment, he he left the or game. Or Tony Bennett. Or Tony Bennett. Yeah. He left the game feeling like, I didn't have an explanation for what happened or why it was overturned. Mm-hmm. That's unacceptable. Like, that's unacceptable for an ACC crew to not let the coaches in the, one of the biggest plays of the game let them know why they changed a call. Right? Yeah. That's just unacceptable. So... Yeah, I mean, increasingly as a fan, I have found myself getting away from replay, mm-hmm. right? It it takes away the excitement in the moment yeah. often. It also leads to, like, honestly, the, I'm glad that the ACC came out with this and just said the refs messed up and we talked to them because mm-hmm. there has been just this pedantic conversation online Duke fans posting, it looks like he's fouled at point two. Mm-hmm. Uh, posting that it looks like the clock started beforehand. UVA fans posting their interpretation of rules that they've never heard of. Uh, doing Zapruder film of what should a five-second call had been called even before that play so that the play shouldn't have happened at all, right? None of that is fun at all as a fan. What's fun is going to a game and being loud and seeing mm. the best athletes in the world go at it. And it sucks, like, anytime this happens. Like, whenever it, things get slowed down and distorted, mm-hmm. it's, like, that takes away from all of the amazing things that these athletes do. So, I totally understand Duke fans being pissed about this. I would be, too, in the exact same situation. UVA had this exact, you know, similar thing happen a few years ago when Grayson Allen's foot was clearly on the ground on a travel that he banked in a winning shot in Cameron Indoor, right? Like, 
you move on. You move on from that game. It sucks in the moment, but like Duke is still going to be a tournament team, in my opinion. I know that that's one of the things I've heard people say on TV is that, you know, could this keep Duke out of the tournament? No, they're not going to be out of the tournament. They are a tournament quality team. It would have absolutely helped them to win this game, but probably in the long term, it probably doesn't mean that much for them. Yeah, it's just... Um... I, I do agree with that, and I, I think that like the this is not a make-or-break moment necessarily, but there is a larger... It's, it's tough. Like the, the, the concept of replay, I've generally been a very pro-replay review kind of person because I think then you... I'm willing to make some sacrifices to, to get it right, right? I, I think that to have egregiously... Uh, incorrect calls is also take that also takes away from what these athletes do you know so for this example Tyrese Proctor the inbounder we were talking about us watching it incredible patience by him he was right on the edge of a five second call but because of his patience you know then you get this open look to Filipowski that leads to this whole thing happening so like he deserves a hat tip for that and that's important, but then I feel like that gets taken away by a call being wrong, mm-hmm. right? Now, the argument against replay here is that the replay is what made this wrong. Right. So that, that's where this is so difficult. So I always think back the, the classic example of, and maybe we do uh, a segment movies at some point about like you know top blown calls or something like that. But this makes me think of the the Rams Saints. NFC Championship game, or was it a divisional game? It was, it was champion, NFC Championship game, wasn't it? The pass interference. Yeah. It was the NFC Championship game. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you look at that, where everybody kind of sees this this call, the pass interference call that, that should have been, and most most football fans saw it and were like, yes, that's obviously a penalty. They messed that up. And the NFL makes a change to have more replay review, replay review of pass interference calls which actually doesn't really result in any positive change over the next couple of years. So, and, and now it's gone again. Like, the it, it, replay is not perfect. And here it definitely was detrimental. I, I I find this in the context of the fact that, did you see the Josh Pastner thing about Jim yeah. Phillips? Yeah. That Jim Phillips, the, the commissioner of the ACC, sent out a notice to coaches not to comment on officiating publicly, which was not, I'm not putting, this is no, like, conspiracy oh my god because it was before this and i just think there had been some comments made by coaches that they didn't like and but it's just kind of i don't know it's difficult because you want to think that it's not about officiating right that that's not what decides games but then something like this it very clearly changed the 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 end the end of this game it does i one of my takeaways from this, which I think is an alignment with my New Year's resolution to not agonize about losses and mm-hmm. to just enjoy wins more. Like, as a fan, and also as a gambler, <laughs> you don't want to think that games come down to these narrow margins like this, right? But yeah. they really do. They yeah. can't, they all the time. Yeah. So many things come down to just random calls and like we have encountered this in our high school coaching there is a dearth of officials people who want to be officials because of this exact type of thing right like death threats over 
a judgment call in the in the moment where they're trying to get things right, yeah. but maybe don't adjudicate the rule the right way, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's super tough. I am not one of the people like I've seen this from some UVA fans who kind of like there's a Shaden Freud of like, ha, it finally happened to Duke that they finally got the call. Yeah, that when it gets them after years of getting every call, I don't feel that way. Yeah. Like I, I would rather things just be right. Well, because I think, yes, yes. First of all, yes, just be right. Second, I understand the, like, feeling. I mean, look, I I hate Duke, too. So I I get this feeling of, like, over the years, I've certainly said, oh, Duke gets all the calls. And, you know, Coach K was an expert at working the refs. And I think he absolutely was good at having some officiating things maybe go his way at times. Right, um, there is an art to that. We know that as coaches, um, I don't think it's as overt as some fans think it is. But there is a way to work some officials, especially around things like foul count and reminders of certain rules and stuff like that. So I understand this feeling of like, yeah, Duke gets the calls because of that. So this is good. These kids are different kids. Like that's what it's about as these athletes, and they're not. You know, Grayson Allen's not on the floor. So, mm-hmm. like, yes, if this were somebody like him, I'd be happy. But it's just kind of – it sucks all around. And I think the the thing that sticks out in my head uh, of number one reason this sucks is because we're sitting here talking about this and not talking about Armand Franklin's clutch three in uh, overtime to – take a one-point margin and extend it out to four, which is essentially what won this game. Like, him making that three seals this thing, and then Kihei's free throws afterwards. But I, th- I think, I guess it was one Kihei free throw. That's right, because couldn't make free throws in this game at all. But, like, clutch plays get overshadowed by an officiating mistake. And to me, that's the problem. Sure. We're not talking about what the athletes did to win this game. We're talking about either way. We're talking about even if they make the call, right? And, and it's a foul, then it doesn't become about the play on the inbounds to make that. It's about, did the officials get this right? Cause UVA fans would, I mean, or whoever, you know, it does again, it doesn't have to be UVA. It just happens to be in this situation. If the foul were called and Filipowski goes and makes a free throw and wins the game, I'm sure there'd be Virginia fans who would be complaining about that. Right. So. Yeah, I think, like, if you took this call out of the game, you just said that this thing never happened. Yeah. It was an overtime seven-point win for UVA. What would we be talking about? We'd be talking about missed free throws and missed opportunities around the rim, where it looked like UVA was the better team, mm-hmm. but could not take advantage of free throws. Their free throw shooting was abysmal, yeah. which is very uncharacteristic of UVA. They're usually a very good free throw shooting team. You would talk about the Armand Franklin three and scoring 23 points being clutch. You would talk about Kihei keeping them in the game at times when their offense was stagnant against Duke's defense. And you'd be talking about the fact that they kept Kyle Filipowski to zero points. An amazing feat. This is a guy as a freshman who's been scoring over 15 points a game. He has been one of the best players in the league. For him to get zero and have a number of turnovers forcing Duke into... 22 turnovers as a team like that's an amazing defensive performance backing up what they did against nc state absolutely so 
yeah, it, it sucks to not have those things be the main conversation coming out of it. I get it. Like, I get why ESPN is covering it every single day. Uh, it was interesting to hear. I was watching the Memphis game earlier today, and at halftime they had Jordan Cornette, mm-hmm. who frequently talks about ACC and is on the ACC yeah. network a lot. And he was talking about, you know, would Coach K on the sidelines have made a difference? That's a like what a what a weird who cares conversation yeah. to have yeah. at this point following a game between two good tournament quality teams. Yeah. So all of that is bad, but at the same time, I'll quote like my last thought on this part is just quoting Jim Calhoun. Not a dime back. I'm not giving a dime back. Yeah. Like I'm not. No. UVA first place in the ACC right now. I wish it had happened under different circumstances, but but like it was an, it was an amazing game. Like it was an amazing. Take game. that out, and and like we were at a bar watching it. It, it was so much fun. Like right. it was a fun, intense game. Maybe less fun if you like have more of a rooting interest. But just watching it as a basketball fan, like I loved the back and forth. I loved the like you know uh, uh, UVA was really struggling with with. Uh, ball screen coverages and uh, there were so many plays where Proctor would slither into the paint and either go score or kick out to, to Derek Whitehead for a th- like they were struggling and then they adjusted right and that's fun to watch a team make an adjustment like that in game it was just such a great basketball game and we've sat here and talked about the officiating you know as we should do like it, it, it was a major topic but it just sucks that it's there but yeah UVA wins another <laughs> clutch game and and strong defensive performance and seem to be rounding into shape at just the right time again you know and and absolutely a uh, a well put together team that that is going to be scary for anybody in March yeah I I'll I'll just be like negative about it for a second you look at that kind of game and how they were inefficient on offense for periods of time and you know 0 for 5 from three-point range in the first half that's the kind of stuff that worries you about the tournament, right? This, mm. this, you, you see something like that, and you think, you know, this team could lose in the second round, right? Mm-hmm. If they run up against the wrong opponent. But at the same time, I feel that way about almost every team in the country, right? You have, you have a situation yesterday where Tennessee loses at home and is down by double digits for most of the game, loses on a buzzer beater. There just aren't that many great teams, yeah. right? So. Yeah. It, you know, Purdue's playing right now, so we'll see what the, how that game ends up. But there's just a lot of, you know, Pitt. Pitt mm-hmm. is tied for the ACC lead, right? Just like we all predicted. Ugh. Duke Duke and UNC perennial teams are maybe on the bubble at this point. So it's just, I think it's going to be a wide open year. It would not surprise me to see UVA lose in the second round. It wouldn't surprise me to see them in the final four, just based on what we're seeing. No, I agree. I could, I could see them going either way. Would you rather? Would you rather lose like Duke did, or lose like Northern Arizona did to Portland State on that full court lob tip in buzzer beater? Like, what hurts more? See, and that one right there, that was a use of replay that was correct. Yeah, to put point four seconds on the clock, that was correct. Sure, and and, and an amazing play followed up, but. Like, in the moment, they thought they won the game. They yeah. hit a three to win the game. People are, like, on the court. So do you like that use of replay? I mean, you're saying it's correct, but would you rather they didn't do it? Like, and just I'm, let I'm it okay in? with that. It's just, I think we have to acknowledge what it takes away 
from our sport. It takes away the spontaneity. It takes away the fact that any amazing moment is immediately like tempered. But this was with, followed up by an even more amazing. Right, but moment. it doesn't always work out that way, right? Like it sometimes sure, but... it works out with like, oh no, it's still in his fingers, and that call doesn't count, right? Like that that was. And then you're still moment. celebrating a huge shot with 0.4 seconds on the clock. Like I'd rather get it right. I don't know. I here's the thing. The thing is, the idea of getting it right is a fiction. There are derivations of what right is. But with something like time on the clock, there is an objective truth to that. Sure, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It was a great it was a great play. I encourage everybody to go this look is, at the Portland State three pointer or the Portland like, State. It's like robot umps in baseball. Mm-hmm. Like there is an objective truth to Okay. It like if we're if you look at a sport like baseball there are objective truths to things like whether a runner is out or safe, right? Like you sure. can look at that and say, you there, somebody can look and see it what got it right. So that's not really a robot ump thing, but that's where replay probably has helped baseball most of the time, I would say. In terms of like calling balls and strikes, there's sort of some subjectivity to that, but I still think can be something that can be more consistent by automating it or reviewing or whatever, whatever that looks like. So there are things within basketball that can be easily looked at, like timing, I think, uh, and, and corrected, but then others that may be more difficult. Uh, anyway, I mean, it was a tremendous play, and I think I am I personally am glad they put .4 seconds on the clock, because otherwise we wouldn't care about this. It, it's a one-in-a-million play. It's awesome. Yeah. The only thing that I'm pointing out is I think we have to acknowledge what it takes away from our fan experience and in-the-game experience, where... Literally something amazing happens. An athlete makes a great shot. Mm-hmm. And a team has wasted all its timeouts and they don't have any timeouts. But then we're going to go to the monitor and make sure that instead of 0.8 seconds on the clock, we have 1.2 seconds on the clock. Now sure. everybody gets a free timeout. Now sure. we just have to wait. right? And it's the same thing with touchdowns. An amazing touchdown is scored. Mm-hmm. Let's take five minutes and try to adjudicate whether it was actually down, was a knee down. Right? Yeah. Like, Yes, it's great to get things more right and to have something that holds officials accountable to mm-hmm. some extent. But at the same time, like you always say on this podcast, it's about fun. Yeah. Does replay make sports more fun? In this case, it did. In this one case. All right, great. There's we been more. There's added, been more. Added. I don't have an encyclopedia of right. every review. No, I know. Moment. But I'm just saying, like, on the whole, I think there's something that it takes away. It takes away sure. the spontaneous joy of an amazing moment in a game. And I'm not saying we should get rid of replay completely. Like this might be a good segment we could do of like how to fix replay. But like, yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm increasingly finding myself like we, we think we can use replay to fix all problems. And this is a perfect, the Duke UVA game is an example of yeah. how it, that's it's not, not per- it's not perfect, but I think it's better than human error. Just let Teddy Valentine. Oh boy, let him let him make a gesture, and we'll just go with that. Boy, That's the good old days. Well, hey, look before we uh, transition over to our March Madness segment, mm-hmm. I just want to acknowledge. So, while NC State is having a great year, my actual alma mater, Elon, uh, not so great. It feels sure. a bit chaotic. Kind of feels like a disaster of a season. So they've gone on basically like early on, uh, they could they they could not win a game to save their life. 
So Elon at one point was two and nineteen. Um, they're now six and twenty, so they've won, you know, four of their last five games, and that's great. Just the purpose of this was not to talk about Elon, though. Okay. As much of a disaster as the season has felt, as much of a disaster as last season for NC State felt, there is no program, and probably in the history of college basketball, that has had a worse season than New Mexico State this year. Ooh. Maybe it's too soon. But let's think about the fact that three months ago, one of their players shot and killed a person. Okay? Now, self-defense, allegedly. But in that process, if you don't remember that, um, in the investigation, there was the school and the DA in their investigations found that coaches and other staffers were in possession of multiple pieces of evidence trying to hide these pieces of evidence, potentially, including the murder weapon. (laughs) Okay, so that was pretty bad, right? And they uh, had a little bit of a program sabbatical, I guess you could say, that I think they they delayed some games and things like that. But now, they've had to uh, suspend their program and place their coaching staff on leave because of a program-wide hazing situation. I just have never seen in my lifetime, and maybe I'm blanking on something, but definitely not in recent history, a season for a college basketball program where things were going this poorly and like this much chaos within a program. This just feels like a major story. I mean, if they were any good, it would be a bigger story. But like, holy like you have a player kill a person during the season and then you also have a hazing controversy I don't know if you have any thoughts on this or not. Or I just felt like maybe it gets brought up. If we want to take it out, we can. But it just feels like a wild thing that's kind of getting lost in some of the other stuff. Yeah, it's it was reminiscent. The the initial part was reminiscent of Baylor in the mm-hmm. early aughts, right? Where you know Patrick Denny player gets murdered, and you know possibly their coaches covered it up, and they went through extensive NCAA penalties. Which is why the fact that Baylor is now yeah. back with Scott Drew is it you know an amazing story and success for them. But yeah, this is this is an unbridled disaster for New Mexico State. Hazing is probably more of a problem in sports than we would all like to think, mm-hmm. right? It, it, I feel like there's a story that pops up every few months, and usually it's not as high profile as men's basketball. Usually it's something like a gymnastics program or a lacrosse program yeah. or something like that, right? Yeah, this is a if there is ever an example of lack of institutional control, this is this is it. This is something that the NCAA absolutely has to not that the NCAA has a great amount of goodwill right. or central control over right. these kind of things, but you have to you have to step in with this kind of thing. And kudos to New Mexico State's chancellor for just going ahead and postponing everything. Because, that's a hard decision because right, it's a lot of money yeah. on the line, right? And, but and and putting people on indefinite leave. Um, not saying that he's done a great job overall of overseeing these kind of things, <laughs> but at least just pulling the plug and saying like we need to figure out what's going on before we play any more basketball. Mm-hmm. Basketball is secondary to having a safe institution where people can yeah move around it's yeah i don't have any hot takes about it it's just like a i don't know my mind was kind of blown in seeing this and then remembering the story from earlier in the year with the shooting and now it's like whoa like what is going on there there's definitely there's definitely something it was one of those things like when they made that announcement 
the fact that they had to explicitly in the announcement say this is unrelated yeah. to previous problems that we've had. Yeah. This is a new problem Jesus. that's totally unrelated, right? Like that's mm. they should uh, they should hire Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino's going to Georgetown, according to all Georgetown so related posts Patrick. that my <laughs> wife follows. Yeah, but uh, all right, you had an idea for for something you want to do here for March Madness. Yeah, so. We don't we don't know what the bracket's going to look like, and obviously when the bracket comes out, we'll have an in depth analysis of who we think is going to advance. Not that we're well, even though we decided we're not doing brackets for bracket challenges anymore as yeah. part of our New Year's resolution. But what I thought I would do is just get a pulse check on who we, who we believe in mm-hmm. at this point, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use bracketmatrix.com, which uh, I don't know if you've ever looked at that, mm-hmm. but just a aggregator of all bracketologists and aspiring bracketologists out there, which does a really good job of actually kind of figuring out what the seeding is going to look like in the tournament. Yeah. So what I thought we would do is we would go through the favorites, the one through eights of what they have listed right now today on Sunday, February 12th, and just pick a team that we feel good about. Yeah. Like, we're, what do we think? If we, if we had to pick one, 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 two... Who are we picking? Yeah. So do we want to start with the ones? Yeah, let's just go right down the list. All right, so Bracket Matrix has the ones as Purdue, Alabama, Houston, Kansas. Who do you feel strongly about in those one C on that one line right now that you think could could take it all? All year, my prediction has been Houston because I think that they are so good defensively that they just create Mm -hmm. havoc wherever they go and would be really, really difficult to match up against. I'm going to take Alabama. Yeah. Alabama played an amazing game yesterday against Auburn. Maybe this is recency bias, but they've just played so well, undefeated in the SEC, shooting three-pointers and getting high-efficiency shots on every possession, and running up against a team in Auburn that was one of the best teams in the country at limiting three-point shooting and to win at Auburn. Mm-hmm. That game just really impressed me. Yeah. I'll I'm, take Alabama. I'm doing something similar. I've been on Purdue all year. And, and I'm still kind of on them, but I actually want to shift from Purdue to I, I also would take Alabama here. I, I think that, yeah, for all the reasons you mentioned, and, and they've got Brandon Miller, who is just, that guy is a bucket. In clutch situations especially, I just feel like I trust Alabama the most of these four teams. Yeah. Okay, so we're taking Alabama. All right, cool. Uh, the two seeds we have, Arizona who lost last night at Mm -hmm. Stanford. Texas, UCLA, and Tennessee, fresh off of a second loss, this time at home to Missouri. Who are you going to take? You were all on on Rick Barnes in the last episode. I was, I was, and we gave him the the old preferred walk-ons curse. Uh, (laughs) There is something developing here. When When we really praise a team... You know the two best teams in the country, I think? UNC and Maryland. Yeah. And Virginia Tech. Yeah. Those are the three best teams. Just unbelievable teams. Great and teams. Just crown them. Crown them. Crown all three of them. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I still believe in Tennessee. I do. But um, I really, I watched UCLA last night. Oh, boy. I get it. I get it. It's a team that I trust now. Like, this is kind of what you were saying about them last week just feels like 
they're they're sort of sneaky good. Like people aren't paying as much attention. There's nobody on that team that like there's not a Brandon Miller. There's not a you know some superstar level guy really. Um, I mean Jaime Jaquez is close probably. That dude just took over that game in the second half. Yeah. He was unstoppable. Yeah, and you got a great like leader as a point guard with Tiger Campbell. Like I. Yeah, I think I think I got to go UCLA here with with honestly, if Tennessee doesn't lose to Missouri yesterday, maybe I'm sticking with Tennessee. But based on that, I think it's got to be UCLA. Yeah, I I'm increasingly convinced that UCLA is the best team in the country. I think yeah. they will be the team that lasts at the end. They have enough defense. They have the experience. Like I think they are my pick right now to win it all. So I'll stick with them for for this. Purpose. Okay. Yeah. Um, I do seeing Texas on that line where there was, a, there's something that has uh, evaded my attention all season until yesterday. Okay. Uh, Sir Jabari Rice, who plays for Texas. Have you ever seen his shot fake? It's unreal. It's really good. Like they were talking about building the best like, college basketball players yesterday on college game day and taking like parts of players. Mm. And, and I think, um, I think it was like Seth Greenberg. He was talking about Sir Jabari Rice's shot fake. And I was like, what? Like, Really? This guy, is it really that good? They showed it. I was like, Jesus Christ, I would jump on that every time. <laughs> uh, look at the three seeds here. Baylor, Virginia, Kansas State, Xavier. I'm going to take Baylor. Okay. I, I've watched enough Virginia games. I feel like I'm too close to it mm-hmm. that I can only see the pitfalls. Yeah. And I know Virginia beat Baylor earlier this year. Sure. They're just getting such great play from Keonti George. Like, he's been so good. And I think that they're playing at a really high level right now mm-hmm. with those young players. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's Baylor. I think Baylor wouldn't be surprised to see Baylor win the Big 12 over Kansas in the tournament. Or, or, or Texas, for that matter. Yeah. I'm going to Virginia here. I, mm-hmm. I have maintained it throughout that I think... This is a team that's highly capable of a run. I agreed with you earlier that they are also capable of a disappointment. But when you get to the three seeds, you're kind of looking at, like, who do I really trust to put it together? I don't trust Xavier. Kansas State, eh, like, what? they're a good team, but wait, what's the – what puts them over the top, right? Versus I think – They've had some injury concerns there as well. Right. So I think, like, Baylor and Virginia, to me, have the ingredients – that could put them over the top. I just I think that no matter what, Virginia is going to be hard to score on, and that it kind of shrinks. Like it, 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 they don't have to accomplish as much offensively, so you don't have to have somebody who can just torch another team. But they do have guys that can do that. like Reese can get hot, Armand can get hot, like you know, and you have a very experienced point guard running the show. And I think they're finding a good balance between the small ball and, and playing with size. So I'm going. I'm going UVA. Okay, I accept. <laughs> the uh, the four seeds were actually maybe the most difficult category for me yeah. to pick. Iowa State, Connecticut, Marquette, Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Where do you land on that? This is tough because because Gonzaga feels like oh you got to go with them right. They were like preseason top five. They've got Drew Temme like. It feels like it could be Gonzaga, but I'm actually going to go UConn here. Mm-hmm. I I just think that they're, UConn, at one point this season, just looked like one of the best teams in the country, and they've kind of sagged off since then. But I still feel that 
you know, they they could really put something together. Um, and and I just I love the game of uh, Andre Jackson. Is that, yeah, uh, I love the game of Andre Jackson and just feel that that team is 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 not somebody that you want to see in the tournament. Yeah, I'm going UConn. This is one of those examples where, like, if you watch any of these teams, I've watched Iowa State a few times because they've been in some big Big 12 games, right? Yeah. And Marquette scores so many points. Their offense is so dynamic. But then you kind of take a step back and look at the analytics, and the analytics love UConn, mm-hmm. right? They, they're one of the best rebounding teams in the country, uh, particularly on offense, one of the best offensive rebounding teams. And that's something you can that translates really well to the tournament. If your shot is off because you're feeling a little bit tight from the outside, being able to go get a board, mm-hmm. being able to uh, continue to have offensive possession. So, yeah, I'll, I'm going to pick UConn to, I think, right? I think that, right? Yeah. Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't surprise me at all for any of these four teams to make a Final Four run, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the analytics here. Right. Pass the eye test, what I've seen recently. Love it. Five seeds, uh, Indiana, TCU, St. Mary's, and Miami. St. Mary's, you know, they had a bad loss against Loyola Marymount this week. I think I'm going to pick Miami. Ooh, interesting. Maybe Indiana. Indiana was was there. I'm going to pick Miami. They're just playing really well. They're only a half game out of first in the ACC. And Isaiah Wong, I just think, is one of the best players Right, no like doubt. Just having that ability, you said at the beginning of the year, having a backcourt that is really strong is an important success factor mm-hmm. for the NCAA tournament, and they have great guard play from Miami. So I think I'm going to stick with them. They've been playing pretty well recently, even though they struggled yesterday against Louisville, but managed to get the win. Maybe this is my ACC bias talking. I'm going to take Miami. No, I I see it. Um... I think Miami absolutely is capable of a run, but uh, give me TCU here, and mm. really for the same kind of reason the back the backcourt play, the guard play for TCU, Mike Miles Jr. and Damian Ball, like those two can light it up. Uh, they run an efficient offense. I just yeah, I I really like this TCU team. I they're fun to watch. There's kind of, they've been struggling lately. They've lost four of their last five, but it's not. We're not there yet, right? This isn't. It's a it, to me a slump right now is okay. Like you're you're trusting Jamie Dixon in the tournament. That, I am. The, I am. That's the sure. But it's kind of like the alternatives, right? Indiana is Indiana. It feels like every year recently we've been getting this like, yeah, but they're better now, and they are better now. But they're very dependent on Trace Jackson Davis. I, I don't love depending on a big guy like. Through all these picks, right? There's there's teams like Gonzaga and Purdue that I could have picked, but I keep coming back to the fact that their best player is a big. And for that, you know, I, I don't know. St. Mary's... I don't trust them at I all. I don't either. I just don't. I, I don't trust I just them don't. at all. So it's between Miami and TCU for me, and I just... I don't know. I, Miami feels incomplete. TCU feels like a team that really could make a run or get upset in the first round, right? But But that's... The reality is we're at the five seeds, so we're talking about those five twelve games, right? Where you're looking at a game where like TCU could be matched up with College of Charleston, and you know don't love that for any of these teams. <laughs> <No>. Like, <laughs> so the the uh, it's tough, but I'm gonna go TCU. Okay, go Horned Frogs. 
That's that's a little bit too much success in one calendar year for the Horn. That's Frogs. fair. That's fair. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think we're ready for that <laughs> as a society. So the six seeds we have: Rutgers, San Diego State, Illinois, and Duke. Yeah, Duke next. Mm. I, I mean, I've said it all. I like. I don't know. I can relitigate this if you want, but I told I told you back in what November that this team would put it together at the end and they're going to be really scary in the tournament and everything is looking that way. So I'm going to stick by it. It's Duke. I hear you. Sure. And I don't disagree with you. I'm going to pick my, this is the highest variance team out there for me is Illinois. Mm. They are capable of beating anybody on any given night with the amount of talent that they have. Terrence Shannon is one of Matt Mayer. Yeah, they have they have all the pieces to be in the final four, and then they play some games where they lose to Northwestern by thirteen, <laughs> right? Yeah, but I still think that they have the pieces. I I believe in Brad Underwood as a coach that he will get them Ooh, ready. At the oh, end for of the sure. Year. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Illinois, but I don't feel great about it. Like, I love they Illinois. Could easily to, lose in the first round. Yeah, I love Illinois to make a Sweet Sixteen run. But if the mm-hmm. if we're looking at the team that could could go all the way. Mm. Yeah, it's got to be Duke. The seven seeds. This one was the easiest one for me, actually. So we have Creighton, Iowa, Providence, and Auburn. Mm-hmm. I, I I felt strongly about this team at the beginning of the season, and I still feel that they're kind of a sleeping giant, and it's Creighton. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just... God, there's something about them when I watch them that even even when they're not playing a great game, they just look like a really good team to me. And and the numbers are good. And they've won eight in a row here. Yeah. And now in the middle of the Big East schedule, right? like yeah, give me the Blue Jays. The only thing about them is they don't shoot threes super well. Sure. So maybe that is concerning. But yeah, I think they could easily be a Final Four team just with the amount of talent that they have. Ryan Nembhard is is has been playing great for them. And so, in their defense, usually you associate Creighton with putting up 85, yeah. 90 points, right? They, they have one of the better defensive teams in the Big yeah. East. So, like yeah, winning, winning against UConn yesterday, 56, 53, is not usually what you see in the Big East. Right. Yeah, I like them a lot. I really do. All right, that eight line. Uh, hey, look at that. North Carolina State. Yeah, we got Maryland. We got NC State, Michigan State, and Arkansas. I really like what I've seen from NC State, and I think that they, I I just feel like they're going to be an eight, and I feel like they're going to be paired against Kansas, and it's going to be a really really good game. Yeah, that's just I just feel that. Okay. In my I mean, gut they fought them truth. hard down at the in the Bahamas that's at the beginning right. of the season. Yeah, let's do a rematch of that game. Let's, let's do it. I would love that. I'm going to take Arkansas, and I think this is just one of my preseason picks. Just the way that. Eric Musselman's team plays. He has a lot of young players, and it's taken some time for them to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I, I just think at the end of the day, they're going to be there. I would like to see them get off of the eight line because that, you know, if they run into like a Purdue or something like that, I don't, I don't know if they're going to beat them. But if they're, if they can get to like a seven or even a six, yeah. I could easily see them making the final four just with the amount of talent that they have on the roster. Yeah, I, I um, definitely was. Between State and Arkansas here. I like Arkansas. Uh, they just got Nick Smith back. He's been out for almost two months. Probable top 10 NBA draft pick, right? So they've had sort of a slide, um, especially early on after his injury. But with him back and the way that Ricky Council is playing, 
Um, they've got some good um, interior play from Makai Mitchell. Like I like this Arkansas team a lot. Like how much of a homer do I want to be? Right, that's the tough thing. Is like, when has that ever stopped you? It hasn't. It hasn't. And I also just think objectively, like this NC State team looks like a team that can make a run. So I'm gonna stick with them. I I just you've got the ingredients, right? You've got the guy DJ Burns is capable of taking over a game inside against a weaker interior team, and if not. You've got the guard play, right? Provided Joyner doesn't go cold like he did against UVA, which he hasn't really done all season. That game is certainly an outlier. You've got a lottery picks talent at guard and Terquavion Smith. Casey Morsell is capable of making shots. Jack Clark coming back, and he's a shot maker from outside. I just, I think all the pieces are there, right? The, the big question is, can Kevin Keats, who has not had tournament success, can Kevin Keats put it together? Can he be trusted to guide this team through a run? I'm, I'm going to say he's earned some trust this season, and and let's go for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going NC State. With Arkansas right there, like, I, it's tempting. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go NC State here. Okay. And I, I promise that's really not me just trying to be no, a homer. A I, I really think that the, the resume is there for a team that could make a run. We'll revisit that, right? Like, see what it looks like in the ACC tournament. But I just think this team could do it. Sure. Are there any teams outside of those eight, one through eight line that you're like, ooh, that's a really intriguing. I mean, I think the the one on most people's mind is Kentucky mm-hmm. after losing to Georgia yesterday. Some people are debating whether they're on the right side of the bubble or the wrong sure. side of the bubble. Sure. They have you know one of the best players in the country in uh, Shibwe. Are there any other teams aside from them that you're like, mm, they can make a run? Yeah, I'm going to look at this two different ways. There's a team that I think is a bubble team uh, from a major conference that I think if they're in, they've got the talent. And we'll just see if they can put it together. And the other one is a mid-major automatic qualifier that that I think could could make it a run of upsets. So we'll go with the mid-major first. That's College of Charleston. I mentioned them earlier. It was a damn good basketball team. Yeah. And I've got them kind of the, – the other one I like is FAU. Um, but they're probably a nine, maybe even an eight seed. So um, Charleston right now, uh, uh, Bracket Matrix has them as a 12. So that puts them in that 12-5 slot, which is always, you know, as we know, prime for upsets. Um, I just really like that team. And then the uh, Power 5 team that I don't really care what you say. They're on the bubble right now. Uh, it's Carolina, right? So – Carolina right now seems likely to be in this tournament if they're in it as a as a ten or eleven, um, yeah, which is scary because look they were preseason number one for a reason like they have the talent so if they find a way to put that together like as much as I hate to say it that team is absolutely capable of making a run from that position yeah I hate it too. I know that sucks but it like does. That, that's the right answer <laughs> Carolina is definitely and you know they did it again they did it last year yeah you saw it last year where they put the pieces together just this time of year big win yesterday against Clemson where they look totally dominant yeah. offensively so they're probably the right answer but just to be confrontational I'm gonna take uh, USC mm. I've seen USC they're they're not the most efficient team. But they have talent, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Boogie Ellis is one of the best players in the country and can win a game by himself. I watched him do it against UCLA. Yeah. I I would not want to play them in a 10-7 and then 10-2 game. Like, that is just... 
I don't know, where you only have a day to prepare. That that would definitely bother me. Carolina's there. I if Kentucky can find a way to get in as a twelve seed and have to play a five, like I wouldn't want to play them either. No, yeah. Um, just the, the amount of talent they have in the roster. You mentioned Charleston. Just looking as a UVA fan, we're kind of on the three line from c- consensus right now. I really don't want to play Iona and Rick Pitino. <laughs> it I just, feels dangerous. Every every week I look at games where I'm trying to pick games to bet on, and Iona is like a eight, nine point favorite, and they just seemingly win every single game. I haven't I have not watched Iona play, but I just know Rick Pitino's style, and I feel like it would be a very dangerous three fourteen game. And yeah. I am no thank you. So I sign me up for Furman or somebody else. I, I don't want them. It does feel like if you, uh, yeah, I, I just feel like because it's Rick Pitino and he's had success there, it feels like you see Rick Pitino in the tournament and, and just, I don't know, that the end could come quickly there. No thanks. This is one of those things like you talk yourself into as a fan. You're like, oh my God, we're, we've been playing well all year. We just beat Duke. We just beat NC State. But please, God, don't send us Princeton. Yeah, <laughs> that's the absolute <laughs> matchup nightmare that we don't want to play. Yeah, yeah, boy, uh, that that is true. There's there's some teams down here as I'm looking that are just like it feels weird to be you know afraid of of Drake or Vermont, but you know, <laughs> just who knows? I was convinced a couple of years ago, and I, I I think I've convinced myself of this this year too that they're going to find a way to match UVA up with Liberty. Mm. And that, the five twelve game a couple years ago, you got Liberty right now in that thirteen. Ohio, right? Yeah, and Liberty's right there. Yeah, with Richie McKay, who yeah. knows Tony Bennett's style better than almost anybody. Like, yeah, that's the game I don't want to see. But I feel like from a storyline perspective, it's the exact well, kind of game that preferred walk-ons curse. Now it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, thank you. Well, I look. I I've said it a million times. We've said it a million times. I'm excited for this year's tournament. I think it just looks like when I look at this, I see chaos. When I just see like some of these teams that are buried like down that you know, like even Northwestern as a nine and Pittsburgh as a potential ten and Clemson down there as a potential eleven. Like teams that we know from ACC stuff, the uh, uh, it's going to be a dangerous year for for a lot of these top seeds anyway. Which well, is fun. Fun for us. Unless you're a fan of a top fun. seed. <laughs> it's, this is the thing. Like Last year with UVA being out of the tournament, it was like crushing as a fan. Yeah. It also allowed me to enjoy the tournament in a way that I just could... Yeah. I don't know. You just... Like you can root for anybody. It, the the world is your oyster. That's I wouldn't true. want it to be that way. I'm I'm definitely like looking forward to state being in the tournament this year. Presumably, right, barring some collapse here at the end. But there is a piece of me that's like, damn, I have to like actually care. Have emotional investment in this. Right. And and which can be so wonderful as, you know, UVA fans discovered. I, I mean, I State has done that twice, but not in my lifetime. So I don't know the championship feeling, but I know the feeling of like the games you're not supposed to win, right? Like when State was an eight seed and beat Villanova and like those, the it's so much fun. But then there's also the like, what is statistically more likely to be heartbreak. <laughs> right. Right. So we look at like, I'm like, yeah, State could make a run, but like you run that simulation and most of the time they're losing. Even you go back to 1983, you run that simulation and State's losing most of the time. Like they weren't supposed to be there. So I, you know, yeah, I, I'm going to miss, I think 
not having a team to be invested in because then you could just have fun with it. But it'll be fun. I mean, I, I love this. It's the best time of year. It seems like there's a meaningful game on every single night of the week, so we will continue to talk college basketball and maybe some football next time. There wasn't a lot of football yeah. to talk about. We'll, we'll get there. There's plenty yeah. of time for that. There, there sure is. We're going to have spring practices starting up here in the next few months, and you know there'll be things to talk about. Sure. So uh, just a plug that you can subscribe and like this podcast on any of the podcatchers that are out there. You can also write to the show. Send us a line at preferredwalkons at yahoo.com and also on social media at pwopod. We're on Twitter and Instagram causing nonsense That's and right. havoc there. So. It's a fun game. You get to play, especially with the Twitter, trying to guess which one of us. I mean, it's been fairly obvious, I think, recently. That's but right, yeah. Guess which one of us is posting. But yeah, please engage with us there. We love, uh, obviously, we love talking about college sports, especially the ACC So bring it on. All right. Catch y'all later. See ya.